Alright. So, um, this was really hard for me to prepare because Lindsay and I were talking about it. Like, this is a story of how um, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And we go from this phase of te- Jesus teaching and he's talking about discipleship. And then essentially he's traveling and then they are, there's a series of miracles. And so we were talking about this, Lindsay and I, and we just realized that over the last two weeks, ha- two weeks have been a crazy amount of death and uh, just accidents or people dying of just things that they've been struggling with. And so... Um, what I want to do is it take a moment and um, like put a full disclaimer. Like I don't know why God doesn't heal people who've prayed and believed, and I don't know why He heals other people. And there's and that's the hard thing, and that's a huge reason about like why people do struggle deeply with faith. Is that why does God heal some and not heal others? And so. Um, Let's read from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Perfect. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Do you want a Bible? I have so many down here. All right, grab one. They're on this side, bud. Boom. Yeah, why don't you start, and we'll go counterclockwise. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. I'm sorry, can you repeat where we're at? Uh, Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying... I will be clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And as I was preparing for this, this was really hard because about two weeks ago, my stepdad passed away. And about last almost a year ago he went into the doctors and they did a ton of medical stuff and they said you're going to be fine uh there's some elevated stuff we're going to keep an eye on it and then about four months ago he passed out and they took him to the hospital and they're like your organs are in failure like your kidneys are in failure like you will not survive and he was too old to do a kidney transplant And then while I was on my work trip in Florida, I get a text from my mom saying hospice came and they said that he only has a few days to live. And I've been pretty honest and um, transparent about my relationship with my family. I haven't spoken, really had relationship with my stepdad and my mother for four years. And it is deeply something that I do grieve. And I do hope that in this middle, before reconciliation, I am hopeful that God will do something. Um, But I get that text message from her And then we had, I remember the chaos of one of our tech workshops and it went really, really well. So I was like on this high of how well things were going and I'm walking to dinner with like our product manager and our CEO and our team and I'm like, awesome. I was like, I should check my phone. I look down and I get a text message from my sister and he goes, uh, stepdad, like John passed away at 2.20 and I got it. Um, And it kind of like hit me 
But the thing about, you know, I'm also really transparent about like how I experienced neglect and abuse as a child from my family. And I've been um, a product of that life is that I'm really good at compartmentalizing because compartmentalizing was how I survived. And so I thrive in highly critical situations, high stress, high critical. Like, so if there's a zombie apocalypse, you definitely want me on your team. And you do, you might not think about it, but like if there was like flag football and there's a critical situation where you needed me to protect the flag, I will body check somebody double my size. I've done it. Like that's just like, that's just how I exist. And so I was able to, in that moment, think that was something that was critical and incredibly like traumatic just to like look down and get that. And I was able to take all those emotions and be like, putting them in a box, putting them here, because what I need to do right now is I need to kill it at my job, and then I need to get home to my husband and fall apart, and then I need to build up from there. And so the ability to be like, and I'm not, like, then that's not really a good ability. That ability is from abuse, like compartmentalizing your circumstances so that you can survive. And so um, this passage was hard because, I, if I look back, like we had, like there have been so many circumstances in our family where I have prayed for the Lord to heal and he did not. So a couple months ago, I prayed about um, my, uh, I shared about how my sister was pregnant with what would be my niece, um, my niece and found out that genetically every, like one in four of my sister's pregnancy with her husband um, the baby would be born with deformities. And so my niece was born, like, she didn't have lungs. So she was able to survive in utero, but as soon as she was born, she would die because she couldn't breathe on her own. And I remember hearing that news. My sister, in this time of her life, does not follow Jesus. In that time of her life, didn't follow Jesus. But I remember they called me to the hospital and they asked me to pray. And, like, the weight of responsibility as a Christian but as a sister and as a pastor was that their expectation of me was that I was going to go into that room and I was going to pray and believe that a miracle will happen. And I remember she delivered her uh, her daughter, my niece, who died out of the womb, and I held her, and I wept, and I didn't understand why... God would allow that to happen. And then also on that trip, I found out that there was this great couple in Bellingham and um, uh, the husband had cancer and he passed away and he was close with somebody else on our team that we were traveling with. And then I read about how this pastor's wife had um, gotten back from a missions trip and they think that she contracted hepatitis A and she had all these symptoms that matched it. They took her into the doctors and it turned out that she had a cancer so aggressive that the doctors saw it growing inside of her and they can't treat it because it's so far gone and she's probably like 40, so far gone into her body that all they can do for her now is give her morphine and pain management. And, but the one that hit me the most, and I want us to pause and take a moment here, was that about two weeks ago, on that, um, you know, Tristan brought it up um, a while ago, but about two weeks ago, a little boy in Linden died. He was six. 
and he had cancer and up and like towards the last leg of his battle with cancer his there was nothing that they could do so they had to watch their son die and all the doctors could do was essentially alleviate the pain that he was going through and no like we are here we love each other's children but it's like having my own kid I just cannot imagine and so when I was studying this there was a great sense of doubt that swelled in my heart because I just do not know why God would heal some and he won't heal others why God would answer the prayers of my best friend husband my best friend whose husband had cancer the second time and healed his body he is now cancer free and there's so many stories that I know where God has healed somebody but there's an equal amount of stories that I know where God didn't and I don't know but this one is I wanted just to take a moment and I want to put that at the forefront of your mind that tomorrow and I believe it's at one tomorrow at one a family will celebrate the life of a six-year-old boy who went to went went home to Jesus so soon so soon and I pray that we will keep that at the forefront of our mind because that should make us grieve that should make our hearts break because watching an adult fight cancer is traumatic and it's hard and it's painful but watching it in the body of a tiny little human being that might not fully even understand what is happening to their body is even more and I want us to wrestle with the reality that we might doubt why God and wonder why God heals some and doesn't heal others. I want us to wrestle with that and then I want to see where we come out on the other side because as I pray about why God heals some and he doesn't heal others, I think I just, I don't know. And I will never pretend to know why God will heal some and not do and not do that for others. But every person that I've known, well, every person of faith that I have known who and their family, where they have passed away, their testimony on the other side of that, them still choosing to follow Jesus, them still choosing to worship God and trust that his plan is greater than ours. They're them choosing that their loved one that was in pain or that passed away is now on the other side. And so... I don't know and I don't think anyone around this circle or any person that you ever meet will ever know but I don't want to shy away from that there will be so many things in our faith where we will not have the answers and that is completely okay that we need to stop making Christianity sound like something that we have to have perfectly figured out and understand completely before we follow because if that was a case of having faith that is not faith. And so in this scripture, as I hop into verse for verse, you have Jesus. And at this point, and this is the tricky thing about this, that we'll get to verse four where Jesus is like, don't tell anyone. Well, what do you mean? There was a giant crowd surrounding you a couple verses earlier. But it says large crowds followed Jesus as he came down from the mountainside. So Jesus was coming down from the mountainside because he was just he just finished teaching and he taught some of the core principles of what we believe in our faith today. And large crowds are following him down. And uh, a fun fact, I hate crowds. I deeply hate being in a crowd because it's overwhelming. And it's overwhelming to me 
because I can't get to know every person in the crowd. Like, and that is why I hate crowds. But Riley, who is an introvert, loves crowds. And he loves crowds because he's like, I don't have to talk to anybody. Because mm-hmm. we're in a crowd. Crowds stress me out. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, there were large crowds following him. And there were large crowds following him because he was doing stuff. They either heard of him. It wasn't like they called each other up. At that point, it was all word of mouth. Did you know this Jesus guy is coming through? Do you know he's teaching? Do you know that he's doing this? Do you know that he has done this? And so he kind of gathers a large following at this point. And so he's traveling. A large crowd follows him. And it says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And so in your mind, what do you think when you hear the word leprosy? Sores. Sores. What else? It's more loss of healing and then infection, usually. That's, you know, sort of the sores, but. The sores, and then like they lose their fingers. The leopard. They were really, they were really separated, isolated. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this guy coming up to Jesus—that's very. He's not even supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they keep them separate, like in in a like a location? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't supposed to leave. So, in the context of this scripture, the man with leprosy—that really was any skin disease. But the thing about a skin disease is it's not something you can hide. And so this man, that the, the stigma around him was not that he was just physically unclean, but their belief was that he was ceremonially unclean, which meant that he was separated. Um, in Leviticus law, if you had a bleeding issue, so like women and their menstrual cycles, they would be separated and they had to follow certain rituals to be considered ceremonially clean again. Um, thank God we don't do that today. Um, but like people with leprosy or any sort of disease, they would be isolated and separated. So they weren't even in community. They were hovering around community. And so he suddenly approaches Jesus. And exactly, like somebody brought it up, he wasn't even supposed to be there. Because when you were ceremonial unclean, if you touch something, you have to declare that you touched it. Because if somebody else touched it, they would be unclean. And so if I was unclean and I was sitting on this couch, I would have to say, this is unclean. And then, like, if Ole comes over here and he sits here, he would be then considered unclean. And because he is considered unclean, then if Josh came over and sat where he sat, because he sat where I sat, then... Josh would be considered unclean. And so there was not just this quiet stigmatism that people had to deal with. It was a straight out embarrassment because they would be called out for being unclean. And so this guy shows up in a crowd. He at that point, what what happens in a crowd physically? You're touching people. People will probably try to avoid you. But for the most part, You're touching people. You're touching ground that they've walked on. You are rubbing your robe against theirs. You had something and struggled with something that was not just quietly inside. It was visibly on the outside. And the thing about the community then is that 
they would all know you were unclean. So this guy comes up to Jesus. He most likely, he knew in his head that if, like, that there was no healing of leprosy. That there, that he was taught his entire life, I have this and I will never not have it. This is my, this is my life. This is my future. And so he goes anyways. He goes into the crowd anyways. And he asked anyways. Regardless of what he knew in his head, he went and he did it anyways. And he knew that his condition was incurable, but he was desperate enough to to have to ask like to have the bold ask. And I said, what does it take for us to become desperate and determined to make bold ask? Because in so many different scenarios in the Bible, every person that experienced a healing experience from Jesus were in desperate situations. And they were in desperate situations, but their desperation made them determined. And I sat and I wondered and I thought about that. Come and look at my daughter. She's dead. That's desperation. Heal me says the broken man on the side of the road to the disciples because he couldn't get into the pool of healing because he was physically broken. The paralyzed man whose friends essentially hike him up to a rooftop, unthatched the roof, and lowered him down so that he can get to Jesus. That's desperate. But the thing about desperation is that desperation makes us determined. And then we have to decide what, what do we do then. And so I began to think about our faith. And I began to think, do I have the faith of a leper? Do I have the faith of somebody who is in desperate situations and probably knows in my head that I'll forever be broken? That was his entire life. Is that once you have leprosy, you don't get to come back into community. You don't get to come back into the fold. You are forever incurable. So would I break away from social norms and ask God for a miracle? Would I ask Jesus to come and do a miracle because I needed it? And I, I refer back to this time a lot in my life where I, Riley and I would talk about it a ton because I got saved in a highly Pentecostal like um, church and asking bold prayers was a normal part of faith. That was just normal. And Riley was not raised in that same tradition. And so what was interesting was um, we had, I remember we were in Seattle and we, we were talking about like praying for big things. And I just remember like we, I got really pissed at Riley because I was like, why don't you think like me? Um, and all the married people were like, yes. Or people in relationship, like, I don't know why you're not picking up what I'm putting down. It makes so much sense. But what I realized in that moment was that when we pray for big things, and God doesn't answer, we're generally disappointed. Can, each, can, can you think of a time that you believed for something and God didn't come through in the way that you expected him to? Feel free to share. And that weren't. That's like 
There's a lot of things that I can pray for and not get that I can get over, but that's that's the hardest one. For myself, every July when it is Kyrie's birthday and I still do not have a relationship with my mother is a moment where I do not understand why God has not worked something so that we can be reconciled because it's another year where my daughter will not know my mom. My daughter has no idea. Who, my daughters have no idea who my mom is. They have not connected that Grandma T, who is an older white woman, is not my mother. They are like, she's your, she's your mom. And I'm like, yes. Well, that makes sense. Their dad's white. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yes. Riley's mom. No, and my adopted mom. And you're Mexican oh. anyway, so. Yeah, like it's, just, it's true. People think I'm Hispanic a lot, BT dubs. No, yeah, the I, girl said you were Mexican. Oh, yeah, I'll speak Vietnamese, and they're like, can you stop speaking Spanish? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we've got so much to, we've got so many things to teach you. But that's, yeah, that's always a really, <laughs> but that's always a really hard thing, right? Josh and Oli, can you guys think about a time that you've prayed for something and God did not answer you in the way that you would expect? I mean, just with people, too. Mm -hmm. I pray for people, and it doesn't end up working out. How does that make you feel? Uh, I guess angry. Yeah. And then what do you do with that anger? Uh, I don't know. Just kind of sit on it, I guess. I think the thing about asking bold prayers and praying bold prayers like the leper regardless of what you know in the physical world is that there is a chance that God will not answer the way that you expect him to which means that we are then faced with the decision that now will I walk away because you did not answer my prayer or will I lean in closer because I have now been able to see my gauge in my faith like I'm able to gauge if I am somebody where I pray and God does not answer the way I want him to answer, do I just walk away? Because if that's what I do, then my faith is weak. But if I'm someone that prays and God does not answer and I feel the things like spot on, like that anger and like the what the heck kind of experience and I sit on it and it makes me lean in more because at that point I now need to trust and I now need to have faith. And I continue to have faith and it allows me to know that my faith is not shallow, but it is strong and it is growing. <clears throat> but I think like I like right now, I think of like when God doesn't answer our prayers and he disappoints us, when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers and we are disappointed, generally people then think God doesn't love them. And my, the first thing that came to mind just right now is like, I love Riley so much, but I disappoint Riley a lot because I am human. And sometimes when he asks me to do something, I don't do it and I don't follow through. Either I didn't want to, I didn't agree, but when we have that sort of conflict where he asks me to do something and then I don't do it, an unhealthy relationship with him thinking she doesn't love me because she didn't do this. But we are growing and we are learning and I think in our faith we are constantly growing and we are constantly learning. 
that a young faith is a faith that says, God did not answer my prayers the way I wanted to, therefore God must not love me. A maturing faith is, God didn't answer my prayers the way that I want to, so I'm still going to trust anyways, and I'm still going to learn what this means. Because um, let's, have, let's have a fun experience. Now just sit and marinate about a prayer that you ask God to answer, and you thank God he did not answer. Like what was a time where you prayed for something real hard and you're like, God, answer this prayer. And now you look in retrospect and you say, thank God, you didn't thank you that you did not answer that prayer the way I expected. I have like a kajillion examples of times I've prayed certain things. So I'll go first. Marinate, we're all going to say, we're going to share our example. I, the guy that I dated before Riley, um, I totally thought I was going to marry him. Like, we had a wedding date set out and everything like that. And then we went on, well, he said, I want to go on a break. And I was like, break is the first word to break up. So I'm assuming we're breaking up. And Lindsay's like, ugh. <laughs> um, but I remember it was heartbreaking for me. And I prayed that the Lord would bring us back together. Because this is the man I was supposed to marry. And now that I'm married eight years to Riley, I think, thank God. I didn't marry that person. Thank God that didn't work out. That all my cries of like, please bring us back together. Like I'm married to the person, like this incredible man who loves me for who I am and um, like all these things. So I think, oh, in that moment, I was so disappointed and I was so upset because it made so much sense that me and this guy would be together. But I didn't know that the Lord's plan was that I would be with Riley. And that Riley and I would be together. And this is the life that, that we would live. Because what I didn't know then and I could see now was that my ex-boyfriend didn't actually support me being a pastor. So if I would have married somebody who didn't believe that I could be a pastor, I would not be a pastor. Or I would have intense conflict in my marriage. So this is round robin. Think about a time you prayed for something and you're like, I'm so mad you didn't answer. And now you're like, oh, thank goodness. I can't necessarily think of a time that I prayed for something that didn't get answered. Um, in, well, I guess maybe immediately. Uh, my problem there would be that I have a hard time praying, asking for things for myself. Hmm. So there's that. But... Um, I guess like with Winry, I wanted Winry and Cash to be closer in age. Mm -hmm. um, and it took about nine months for me to get pregnant with Winry. And um, I definitely prayed that I would get pregnant sooner, and I didn't. But in the end, um, I also really wanted a girl. Um, and I wanted, you know, a healthy baby. And in the end, I got a healthy baby girl. And the timing was good because um, Cash got diagnosed with sensory processing disorder at three, which is about when Winry was born, but he wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known and we wouldn't have had the resources to help him before that age. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, God knew that we needed a bigger age gap than we thought we wanted because mm. I don't know that we would have handled it very well. Yeah, that's good. Um, I had a boyfriend for about six years that I had prayed with and had a family and stuff. Um, yeah, 
a good thing I didn't because I wouldn't really want to know. Elizabeth? Yeah, you got a lot of you got a lot of time to praise some silly prayers. <laughs> Something. Um, 
and then my one interview, my one job that I got was like my current one at Faithlife. And I think back to that, like that whole experience of having to wait that like eight months, mm-hmm. like washing cars and being like asked by people, are you still in high school? Or like, are you gonna graduate this year or whatever? And it was like so humiliating and everything. Yeah. It was so much worth it for like a, like a stable job that I have today, mm-hmm. like a career. Um, so much more than like what I would probably get from anything that I applied to before. So. Mark? Um, so I went to college at Western and I really wanted to be an industrial designer. I never really ever thought about getting married or having children. I had that planned. And then I met Tom and <laughs> we got married and then but I really wanted to go so I went to school and I kept I couldn't get in the program every time. And um, so anyway, I really desperately wanted to be but I didn't get in that and then I had that big boy right there. Tom? There's a lot of your boys over in that corner. Well then my my cousin actually had a baby and um I just like I fell in love with that baby. Like I never ever had maternal instincts. And then I met that baby, and I was like, I have to have one. Every baby I see, I want to sniff. <laughs> right I just want to sniff babies. Right? Well, I was like, I have they to just have smell so good. Just, baby sniffer. Yeah, just <laughs> you bring that baby, like, they're heading you up. <laughs> and then you kind of do it on the DL, because you don't want to freak out the parents. Cool, cool. Right. No, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if I had had my own way, then there would be four people in this house that would not be here. Don't tell Ivan. No. <laughs> Dude, Ivan was like a, he was like a bonus. I always wanted four kids and Tom was good with three. And he was actually tapped out in three. And then, and then boom, and Batman. Then one, and then one day he's like, let's have one. And I was like, yes. Let's name him Ivan. Let's name him. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever you Do want you have a story? L? Batman. Okay. Well, clearly I'm the only one that prays for a crazy, ridiculous like exes <laughs> whatever that's fine. that's fine that's fine that's fine but I just even like when I was in school I went to school to be a doctor um or a lawyer because that's the American dream and then lo and behold I am neither of those so well, you're a little bit of a I'm a actually. spiritual doctor um but spiritual lawyer oh boom <laughs> right after spiritual gangster <laughs> But I remember I wanted to be those things, and then I got saved, and I still wanted to be those things, but nothing worked out, and I just think, like, if I would have rallied through anyways, I would do something that wouldn't give me as much life as doing this. And so, and I definitely would not be where I'm at. I didn't want girls. I would pray, I prayed that the Lord would not give me girls, because... I knew Girls my yeah. I brought my up their emotional terrors <laughs> when they're younger, but they just have a lot of feelings. And I pray, I, w- I pray that the Lord would not give me girls because that I just didn't want daughters. And I have two <laughs> tiny typhoons, thirteen months apart. But like the entire journey of raising them has been this healing journey that I could not have imagined I would have walked through if I would have had sons. You know, like being able to be there for them the way that I was never cared for has been healing. 
And so for years praying against having girls and hating the idea of possibly having girls, I have two and I could not be more grateful that the Lord did not answer my crazy prayer of don't give me girls. I just want boys. So here's have have two girls who are strong willed. And so why I ask these things is that there are so many things in life that we will know and people will tell us. Like the leper was told that he will never be cured. There will be, always be people. Like I'm preparing to speak at a camp for foster kids and I they will have gone through things harder than I, we will ever know. I will Even I will ever know. And I will have to tell them that people will crush your dreams. And they will tell you things. Like you can never be fixed. You can never be loved. You can never be. So there will be things that you think you know in your mind. Just like the leper. But he did it anyways. And so I want you, for the rest of this time, I want you to think, what are things that you have faith for like the leper? What are things that you know could be an impossible circumstance, but you will ask anyways? Because my impossible circumstance, I'm supposed to go and be with my family to spread my father, my stepdad's ashes at the end of this month. And my impossible is like, I, I'm going to keep praying for reconciliation, that conversation with my mother, even though for the last four years that has not happened. For the last four years, she has not acknowledged any wrong. For the last four years, she has ignored the, like, she has not reached out, or like, in regards to, like, a, like a relationship with Riley and I. But I will believe, like, the leper, because what I know is that she isn't going to try and this is the same woman that abused and neglected me my entire childhood. I know that in my mind. But I'm going to be like the leper and I'm going to ask anyways. I'm going to ask for a healing in that relationship. I'm going to ask for freedom in that relationship. And so I want you to begin to think what, what right now in your life that requires you to have the faith of a leper. And we pass out these prayer cards. And I, I want to encourage you to be bold enough to write it on your prayer card and to allow somebody else to pray with you for it. And so we go and like, and now we just finished two verses. We migrate into verse three and four. And it says, then Jesus said to him, oh no, sorry, there was another verse in there. It says that Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. And he said, and be healed instantly. And the leprosy disappeared. And the, the, what stuck out to me in Jesus's actions, and we should slow down to acknowledge this, acknowledge this is that Jesus reached out and Jesus touched him, knowing ceremonial law that if he touched him, he would be considered unclean. That the, the crowd apparently around him would see him touching this leopardous person. And that would affect how he would look to the crowd. But he did it anyways. And that's what stuck out to me is that he reached out and he touched the leper and he had he healed the leper. And I just think about in this idea of missions and this idea of ministry, we make it way too complicated. Church should not be as complicated as we made it. Ministering to our neighbors should not be as complicated as we made it. It is not reserved for just pastors and ministry is not just reserved for pastors. But if we are willing to reach out and touch and live life with people, who are broken and who are hurting, regardless of what people would think of us. 
I just think God can do some really cool things in those spaces when we are willing to be like Jesus and reach out and get messy and not care about what people would think. There were so many per- circumstances where people are like, Jesus, you're eating with the sinners. And he's like, yeah, I know. Jesus, like, do you know how terrible these tax collectors are? Yeah, I know. Jesus, you are talking to a Samaritan woman. You are talking to women who are considered prostitutes and they're considered dirty and they're considered unworthy. Jesus has an experience where they throw a naked woman in front of him and they said, we caught her in adultery. Let's take a moment. They had to be watching her to catch her. And the only person they threw in front of Jesus was the woman. So he was constantly in situations where people wanted to remind him that who he associated with, who he reached out and touched and healed, could affect what he looked like, could affect his image. And Jesus didn't care. And we make ministry and church and our faith complicated when we care too freaking much. That there's nothing magical about putting on a seatbelt on an airplane and flying to another country to go and tell people about the gospel there if we are not willing to love people practically in our neighborhood. If we are unwilling to go and meet our neighbors and meet the people that live around us who speak the same language as us, who experience the same culture as us. Because what we are able to do by extending out and reaching and touching and being willing to live life with people is that we are able to share Jesus with purely how we live our lives. It is not mystical. It is not complicated. It is, hi, my name is Tom. What is your name? I see that you just moved into the neighborhood. Is there any way we can help you in this move? Hi, my name is Nico. I see that you're new here. I would love to grab coffee with you. So much healing can happen when we care less about what people would think about us and more in the fact that we have the ability to show people Jesus purely by loving them practically, by knowing their name and by knowing their story and by willing to show up. So Jesus reached out and he touched this man breaking all ceremonious laws because the demands of love and healing him was greater than the weight of social norms and circumstances there are so many people like we have like so with josh Oli, og and l there will be so many people as you grow up in school that the religious people will tell you can associate with them What would they think? But those are the people who need to hear Jesus. The good news of Jesus. Those are the people who need to know that they are loved even if the world tells them that they are not. Those are the people who need the good news of Jesus. And in a place like Linden, where it only matters, like it can easily be what you look on the outside, that's what matters. Because guess what? The leopardous man... People knew exactly what he looked on the outside. The homeboy had a skin disease. Plus he was probably totally wrapped up with money. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that were like, oh, he stands out. He does not belong here. 
And I just think we live in a place and in a culture where people belong and they don't belong. I've never experienced anything like the culture of Linden where there's a deep sense of you belong, whether it is your last name and you have Dutch roots here, your family name. Those things really matter here and I've never lived in a place where that mattered. And hearing again and again, I met one of my coworkers moved to Ferndale and we were standing and we were talking and he said, I lived in my house in Linden for years and nobody, we didn't even know our neighbors, nobody talked to us. He moved out to Ferndale and he's like, they're some of the friendliest people I've ever met. And I'm like, for a culture that has such rich legacy of faith, our story now is that people belong and they don't belong. And there's an overwhelming amount of people who feel like they don't belong here. And we should have feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility that wherever we go, if you are here and you're like, I love Jesus, Jesus is my Lord and he is my Savior, wherever you go, you are carrying light into dark spaces. And you are reaching out and you are touching people. And that is ministry. That is mission. And if we can't do it here in our own neighborhoods, like, <coughs> surprise kids, I'm never going to take you to another country unless first we can minister here. Maybe Canada. I think in our neighborhood, like half the people in our neighborhood are at our house every day. Oh, yeah. So Martha is like the perfect our, example in our, in our, in of it. She's it's, Mrs. It's Piggle She's Mrs. Piggle I mean, I know on a first name basis, like, everyone I could throw a rock to. Even the people that don't even live in the That's so aggressive country. that you're throwing rocks. <laughs> like all the old people behind us. There's Randy and there's Kathy. Totally. I mean, yeah. I don't say this to like toot my heart or anything, but when we moved down and worked really toot it? hard, yeah, to like build this really great community and get to know people and gather people together and stuff, and it has been amazing. Not just for me, you know, it's been amazing for everyone. There's like little, I don't know, little pockets of oh, these people really get, you know what I mean? These people really get along. And, there's but like then little we, all um, of our rappers everywhere. There is, and then there's kids <laughs> everywhere. But then we like we do we have like neighborhood parties and. They have movie nights. They have movie nights and stuff like that. And that's and that's the it's thing. special. It's and, really special. And there will be people who like Martha and Tom who will gather many. But you might be called to gather a few, but you're still called to gather. I'm like I have a hard time even getting my two neighbors to <laughs> together. I, I lived here for three years and for three like I had this moment of breakthrough with my neighbor across the street where for the first time she opened up in three years. Of consistently saying hi, bringing over cookies, checking in to see how her kids are doing, just small talk. First time earlier this week, I felt like she finally stopped, like, being super awkward with me. Three years. When you do missions work, it says it takes about seven to eight years to actually be a part of a community. So you you have to be willing to invest time. You have to be willing to invest consistency. Like I want to be the type of person where wherever I go, people I can leave and people will know that they are loved. Not just by me, but there's something about the way that I live that people will be like, I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, I want that. And that comes from an abiding, aligning relationship with Father God and that is what Jesus had is that where he went something happened where people crowds would gather they didn't even most of them probably didn't see him do a miracle 
And then they watched him, and then they in, ended up interacting with him, and then they went and they, they wanted that. And so I just think in my life, I want to be the person that where I go, the way that we, I love a person as a Christian sets that apart for me. <coughs> and But what's interesting as we end this time is that then Jesus said to him, don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This, this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Socially, they knew that there was no cure for leprosy. But there was still a law that just in case, this has never happened, but just in case it did, this is what you should bring. And why Jesus told him to go to the priest is that the priest would be the only person in the community that can verify that he has been cleansed and be initiated back into community. And there were so many, as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew, there are so many circumstances where Jesus does something freaking awesome and he's like, but don't tell anybody. Like, healed you. Don't tell anybody. But none of them listen either. <laughs> none of them listen. They're like, yeah, yeah, cool. Jesus, help me! <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'm the first time, like, if Jesus did something really cool, like, I want to tell, like, everybody about how cool it was. But he would constantly be like, don't tell them. Because what happened, and some theologians believe that he told them not to do, he told them not to tell because he knew that what would happen would be, like, a massive, like an even larger amount of people that would just gather to see the miracle and miss the entire point of the gospel. Yeah. That there would be masses that would come because they would be hyped on signs and wonders. Yeah, it's like a freak show circus. Yeah, it's like a freak show. Like they would just come, but then they would miss the point. It's the same as like, put the cup on the table. So you're telling me to put it on the floor? Put the cup on the table. So put it on the chair? Like that is what happens when masses gather on hype, on signs and wonders. It's like, whoa, we're here for the miracles. And it's like, but you're missing the gospel. And so Jesus goes, go tell the one person that can verify it and don't tell everybody. And this is the first miracle that he does coming off of the mountain when he talks about what it is like to be in relationship with him. Just talked about that. And then I thought about this. What would it look like for a house church to have the faith of a leper? In Christian circles, we talk a ton about having faith like David, who was a great king. Having wisdom like Solomon, who was a very wise ruler. Having the zealousness of Paul, who essentially helped form the majority of the New Testament, which is where we lay a lot of our theological foundation. Having faith like Timothy. Having faith like Deborah. Having faith like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And I'm over here like, but what would it look like if we had the faith of a leper? <laughs> Bask in that glory, guys. Bask in that goodness. What if we became a community that was so desperate for people to know Jesus that we were determined to love them so radically? I think a good example of getting the, having the faith of a leper and have being an example to other people that they would want to what you have is just really growing in your identity, right? David, God prophesied that he would be a king. David grew, grew into that. The same with Solomon. He grew into who God had already created him to be. Um, even Paul, right? This whole, the same thing. They all believed God and grew into who yeah. he said he, they were. And so our, our job, you know, 
is to is to search and you know ask seek and knock who am i what am i what have you called me to be and to follow that right that is you will be your best you if you follow that and you will have your most impact if you follow that and the key is to knowing who is your best you because your best you is not going to be like martha and tom right your best you is not going to be like me your best you is you and so knowing that, as I said, the leper was desperate and determined to see a miracle regardless of what he knew in the physical. I want to see impossible circumstances and think in my mind that's an impossible circumstance. And I still want to be like, but let's see what we'll, like, but I'm going to pray. The leper was not afraid of what could have happened to him when he came into the crowd to ask for a miracle. I don't want to worry about what people will think about me when I'm bold enough to talk about Jesus. When I'm bold enough to stop in the middle of my workday and pray for the healing of a co-worker's son or wife or friend. The leper was willing to come to Jesus because he most likely just heard about Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. Chances are the leper never personally encountered Jesus up to that point, but he heard. And people hear because People can hear things because other people talk about those things. The interesting thing about church community is that people will hear because we will talk about it. When we talk about the way we love each other, when we talk about the way we share meals, when we talk about the way God is working in the midst of this. Because I promise you I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about how Cash told me his memory verse. Probably remembers it better than I do. But experiences like that, or being able to come to Ivan's birthday party, not as a a friend of the family, but I I will get to see Ivan grow up. People so desperately desire community, but they don't hear about the way a Christian community can be because they've heard about what it has been. And my last question for us before we do our takeaway is, Are people hearing about Jesus and experiencing him in us? Are are the people around us hearing about Jesus and experiencing him in us? Does your neighbor know of who Jesus is purely because you are kind? Do your coworkers know of who you believe in because you are steadfast, you are repentant, you are kind and full of joy. Do people know and have they heard of who God is because of the way we speak about him and the way like we love him? Like one, like I use Riley a lot as an example, but Riley is hands down one of the most missional human beings I have ever met. My introverted husband is one of the most evangelical people I've ever met because Riley's way of talking about Jesus is not say, have you heard about my friend named Jesus? Riley's way of showing people Jesus is how he speaks about me and our children. Riley's way of showing people Jesus is showing up after work and helping them move things because no one else was going to do it. Riley's way of speaking about Jesus is how he speaks about their leadership at Costco when everybody wants to talk trash. 
And so I want to encourage you, and this is a stereotype that I so desperately want to break in the modern day church, is that only extroverts can be great evangelists. Some of the most incredible evangelists I know are introverts because their determination to speak of Jesus and to show people about Jesus is not these extravagant <laughs> things. It's the thing behind that nobody will see. Like Chase would probably be super embarrassed that I would say this. Like probably Chase and Tom. But to be able to say, hey guys, we need a door cut in half and we need it kind of look like this. And then all of a sudden, Chase shows up at my house the next day or like Tom takes the door one day and I was like, oh, the door is gone. And then Chase I comes. In the van. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, I didn't really do a whole lot. But like Chase was like, and then he just took it and he cut it and then he came and he installed it. Because I was like, here's a need. And he's like, I can meet that need. So he did. And he showed our family Jesus. Because he saw a need and he met it. It's not complicated. But we make it complicated and we make it for only certain people to do. But so like Elizabeth, when you go and you lovingly care for people who are hurting, physically hurting, you are showing them Jesus. And so that's kind of what I want to end this time on. It's like, what would it look like if our house church had the faith of a leper?